Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets, telling you what may be coming next, investment opportunities, and what to avoid. Now, here are your hosts, Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. All right, good evening. I'm Michael Hartzman. Today is Tuesday, October 5th, 2021. And as always, I'm on with my partner, Dominic Tavella. And how are you, Dom, this evening? Good evening, Mike. And I hope it's always, but we'll see how it goes from here on. Exactly. So far, so good. So but, far, uh, so good. We are we are rocking and rolling for another Tuesday night. And, you know, tonight, Dom, which we decided to do the quarter before, we don't have a guest this evening. You and I are just going to talk about the market, talk about the activity for the last quarter. And as I was doing the show prep, I'm thinking, geez, we have to talk for an hour, just you and me. And, and then I started thinking about all the different things we could talk about. And I was able to rattle off 10 topics, just kind of right off the top of my head, right? From market volatility to sector rotation, to inflation in the Federal Reserve, to, to what's happening with treasury rates, to headline risk, to the debt ceiling, to supply chain problems, to the Democrats not agreeing yeah, on anything. Yeah, and, and I think, Mike, that was the premise of on a quarterly basis that mm -hmm. we, instead of having a guest on and we're going to talk about, I mean, every time we have a guest on, I think they're all important subjects and topics uh, and appropriate for the time and age that we're in right now. But I think once a quarter, probably it's good to do a wrap up show and go, hey, this is where we are year to date. Um, and, and I think this is going to be enjoyable that we've had a pretty good year so far. And I don't want to get into the meat and potatoes just yet, but also, hey, what do we see going forward? What it kind of what's the headlines? What's the risk? What's the positive? What do we expect for year end? I think it's a good way to, to kind of bring it down to earth for our clients and say, look, this is our opinion for whatever it's worth. But, hey, let's go into this with our eyes open. Yes. And, you know, the elephant in the room is the market went down last month, which we really haven't seen in quite some time. So the, the S&P was down about, about 5%. I think the NASDAQ was down, down close to 6%. So it, it is important to talk about not only why did it happen, but what's going to happen next, right? Yeah. And look, we, we, we spend way too much time, and we as an industry you know, we're always looking at the next headline and the next scare, and it seems like either it's all full or all empty. And the truth is that that usually it's not 100% one or the other. I think it's always a combination of, of factors that create this ebb and flow in the markets. And we had gotten quite used to the markets only going up month after month after month. And Mike, we, we've heard it from many of our clients. Wow, what, what happened? The market actually went down. What happened, you know? Um, so I think we're going to spend a little time uh, in the next couple of segments. We'll talk about the positives, the negatives, and maybe our year-end uh, expectations, which I think that the, not to give away the, the, the whole thing right now, but I think we're, we're still optimistic. Yes, but, but to your point, um, you're right. I had a client call me yesterday and said, hey, I just want to make sure I'm reading this statement right. Did I lose money last month? And, and I said, yes, you did. Uh, but the good news is because the way we manage the money and because the way we have you allocated, you only lost half of what the market did, but you lost money. And he said, that's okay. I'm just not used to seeing that. Yeah, we, we had gone uh, an exceedingly long time, I think better than 10 months um, without seeing um, a five plus percent pullback in the markets, right? The S&P, I think at one point earlier in the year, the NASDAQ was down about eight plus percent. Um, and it just looked like uh, every day, and, and frankly, those are the days that actually make me nervous. Mm -hmm. Every day, no matter what the headline, whatever the news, the market would go up another quarter percent, another half a percent. And you're like, how can good news be good news and bad news be good news? Mm -hmm. um, and th those days kind of worry me. And you, you already alluded it to it, Mike. When we see those kind of warning signs, we're inclined to, to take some risk off the table politely harvest some profits, right? Maybe get a little bit defensive. And, and, and at least for now, uh, gratefully so, because uh, we have had this little pullback. 
Um, and uh, little so far, maybe more to come. Um, but our portfolios, I think, held up pretty well. Right. And to your credit, as, as it relates to the volatility, you've been talking about this for, for months, that we have not had a good old-fashioned 5 or even 10% pullback, which, you know, if it doesn't last that long, is actually healthy for the market. Yeah, uh, Mike, uh, and I think, you know, the original premise behind this show and getting the guests, I mean, we've gotten some amazing guests on these podcasts, is to make sure that we're getting the message across to our clients and, and other viewers what our thoughts are. And frankly, if this pullback caught you by surprise, then you really weren't paying attention. Uh, we have been both in our direct communication with our clients on this podcast, uh, TV interviews that we've done. We've been very vocal that, hey, things are pretty good. Uh, the economy's growing, but certainly uh, expect some kind of a pullback. And we prepared for it. Hopefully the clients emotionally were prepared for it. And hopefully it didn't catch anybody by surprise. Not on our side anyway. I don't, I don't, I don't think it would catch many of our clients by, by surprise. But nonetheless, when, when you're in the middle of it and it's always very emotional, people do think, oh, is this, is this the beginning of the end? Is this kind of where all the bad news sets in for a very long time? And like you said, we don't want to give away all the headlines. We will get into it in a, in a few minutes when we come back after this break. But um, I think we're off to a good start for right now uh, yeah let's uh, break it down item by item and then we'll we'll throw it out there and maybe we'll get some more client response on some of the issues we will be right back after this break are you paying federal taxes on your cash i work hard for my money that i keep in cash and for the life of me i can't imagine why anyone would want to pay federal taxes on their cash that's why I keep my cash in the Lebenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, symbol L-E-T-A-X, le tax. Rates on cash are already so low, why pay federal taxes on the interest your cash earns? Remember, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. The Lebenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, L-E-T-A-X, may help you earn more on the cash you've worked hard for and keep more after-tax dollars in your pocket. Find out more about the fund by speaking with a Labenthal Global Advisors Private Wealth Advisor or its sponsor at DCMAdvisors.com. For your hard-earned cash, why pay the tax when there's the tax? Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities, the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman, back with Dominic Tavella. Um... Saddam, so I'm a glass half full guy. I think you're a glass half full guy. So we're going to get into the market, but let's let's do the topics that the market is worrying about for now. And then we'll try to kind of finish on a high note. And uh, we'll talk about what we like about the market and what we expect towards the end of 2021 into 2022. Does that sound good? Uh, it does, Mike. Uh, but I, I want to kind of create a premise here that that you know, people are looking at the news every day, right? So why do we want to focus on some of the negatives? Because number one, they're real. Number two, I think the people that are talking about the doomsday scenario are using some of these negatives to justify why doomsday is right around the corner. And I, I think we both agree that's not likely, not impossible, but not likely. So you know, these people that are calling for a 20, 30% correction in the market, these are the kind of things they're focusing on and using it as justification. Right. So we can only talk about what we know about, obviously. Right. So we have four or five things that we know about. And there was an expression that came out around 10, 15 years ago as a result of a book. 
that was written called the black swan theory. And, and people love to talk about that black swan and what that means in plain English. Doesn't just, just because you've never seen a black swan doesn't mean they don't exist. So when it relates to the market, people say, oh, but what about the black swan? What about the thing we haven't seen yet? And the truth is not many people had a pandemic, a financial crisis and the, and the World Trade Center on their bingo card at any time. And the market was able to survive three pretty wild and dramatic and tragic black swans. Yeah. And look, Mike, uh, the analogy I always use is the meteor coming across the sky, right? Sometimes it's really pretty at night and you go, oh, that was really cool. Sometimes the meteor hits the earth and God forbid wipes out a city or a town or and people die. So we don't know when that meteor is going to come and we don't know if it will be a pretty one going across the sky or it will be something that does significant damage. But we have real issues that we can focus on and use those in our planning process, in our allocation. Um, and so let's let's focus on some of those, Mike. Uh, you, right. can, you start. So let's get into the, you know, some of the stuff that we do know. And the first one, Dom, we get a report every week, the U.S. Unemployment Report. And you know what? It's been ticking up a little bit, a little bit. We thought by now it started to tick down. The supply chain shortages were supposed to take care of themselves. The unemployment role was supposed to be reduced. But still in all, surprisingly, unemployment's been a little stubborn lately, Dom. Yeah. And so, again, this is in the worried bucket, right? right. Um, we expected that by now we would have a significant number of people that were unemployed because of COVID come back to work. And for a multitude of reasons, you're, you're spot on, Mike. The number's good, uh, but not great. And it's kind of plateaued. So we can argue that not en enough people have gotten their vaccines, not enough people have gotten uh, back to working in offices, that restaurants can't get servers to come in and work, and uh, employers that do want to hire can't find people to hire. But the facts are the facts that we still have unemployment number, relatively speaking, high, and not enough people back to working, whether it's in their offices, their desks, or the restaurants. So that's an issue for us. Will it resolve itself? I'm of the opinion it will. It's just going to take a lot longer than some of the experts originally thought. But I, I do think it starts, uh, it's been resolving itself. It's just going to take a lot longer. So here's a chicken or the egg question. You know, let's talk about that as it relates to the supply chain problem. Because when we were talking about the supply chain problem in the spring, all the experts were saying it'll resolve itself in the fall. And now... We have those same experts saying we have supply chain problems still. So is the unemployment a result of the supply chain problem or is the supply chain problem a result of the unemployment? Well, and now I'm going to go to two better experts than me and you. Sorry, Mike, but okay. both Chairman Powell from the Federal Reserve and uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen have blamed the supply chain problem as one of the major reasons why we have higher than expected inflation, slower economic growth, and directly tying it into labor where, again, the chicken or the egg that you brought up, where employers maybe don't want to hire somebody if they don't have things to sell or uh, companies don't have a product to manufacture. We know that was a significant number in the jobs in the auto industry, right? We don't have the chips. They can't build the cars. They don't have workers that can come in. They can't hire more workers to come in. So I think you're spot on, Mike, the supply chain problem, the ability to get goods off these ships and into the stores, right? One end of the spectrum to the other is, is a really kind of a, I've used the term tapping the brakes on economic growth, but whether it's employment, economic growth, clearly a problem. Yes, clearly a problem. And then as it relates to the supply chain, and I keep hearing about tankers that are stuck out at sea, you know, can't get into- and There are more now, not less, Mike. To I, your know. Point. I know, I know. You know, and then, so then, then you know, we always have to talk about China, and as as China is brought up, there's the tariffs that the Trump administration put on. Does does Biden loosen them? It sounds to me like Biden is kind of increasing the tension with with China, and then China had its own problems with that Evergrande um, 
company that owns a gajillion dollars that that's not going away anytime soon. So the global economy, we tend to focus on our economy, but the global economy hasn't been peaches and herbs either. Yeah. So the next one on our list is China, right? So uh, they've gone through a number of steps where they're trying to control their own corporate structure, companies, and how they they relate, those companies relate to their own population. Um, they've had big problems with uh, real estate that was just way overbuilt and uh, Evergrande, uh, $300 billion in debt. And Mike, I didn't see that any headline at all, but a company, I think it's called Fantasia, another real estate uh, developer out of China, defaulted on their debt today. Shockingly, no one even noticed, right? Maybe a week from now, it'll be a headline somewhere. But it's a real problem that you have these ginormous developers in China that have built enormous complexes and apartment buildings and shopping centers. They borrowed billions of dollars to do that construction. No one's living in the apartments. No one's shopping or going into these malls, empty spaces. And that's got to un- that's got to unravel, right? It's kind of like our financial crisis after 08. It will happen. I do believe China will keep the lid on the pot. On the other hand, it won't be pretty, and it will have global economic implications. So China's a real one on the worrisome. I believe it is. Yeah, and in, in addition to those problems, like I said, it's always the, the, the tensions between our government and 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 their government because. You could argue that Joe Biden and Donald Trump are you know, two, I don't think they're two opposite human beings, especially with their worldview, but they seem to be in pretty much agreement when it comes to China and, and being tough on China. Look, I, I, I've talked about it many times that I, I think in the past, uh, we were way too soft on China, kind of let them get away with anything. Um, some people would argue that point, but I think a lot of people wouldn't. Um, Trump obviously started to go push the pendulum in the other direction. And surprisingly, uh, it looks like the Biden administration is going to continue on that. Mm-hmm. Course. So, again, Mike, I think you're spot on as if we needed one more thing to worry about with relation to China besides their economic uh, interests. Uh, they're flying jets over Taiwan. Mm-hmm. We needed one more headache. And today, today, yesterday, the Biden administration announced that they're going to get tough on trade issues with China. So one more added to the list. Yep. Under the China and, headline. Yep. And then moving on, and this one I think will make a lot of our listeners and clients roll their eyes, is this debt ceiling drama. You know, it's like, again, it's like every couple of years, we have this debt ceiling. And, and really and really, what that means in plain English is basically the government has to write a check every, every, you know, every year to make sure that all the bills get paid and, and, and Congress has to certify that and basically approve that. And it's just always political infighting. It's always tied to some other nonsense. And just the timing of it right now, with all this other unrest bubbling around, the, the, this debt ceiling drama just could not come at a worse time. So, uh, Mike, I, I apologize, but I'll, I'll kind of explain it's just slightly different. Hey, your credit card's maxed out. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. And you got to go to the bank and say, increase my credit line. So Congress, every so often, right, you're spot on again, Mike, uh, has to come back and go, all right, we're going to make your credit credit line a little bit larger, right? Um, and it's, and, and uh, if that isn't bad enough, right, how embarrassing, you have to go and ask, for a, a larger credit line. Um, and that's the Federal Reserve's ability, the Treasury's ability to borrow so it can pay its bills on time. You're exactly right, Mike. Um, it's tied around politics, right? And so now we have the Democrats who, who wanna get this done. The Republicans are like, yeah, go ahead, do it. We don't care, but you're doing it on your own. We're not gonna help you at all. And there's a lot of, of headbutting going on. You got Treasury Secretary Yellen talking about how the world's going to come to an end and the economy is going to go on into a massive recession. We're going to default in our debt. Of course, this has never happened, but the fear mongering that goes on by both sides uh, is, is we define it as headline risk, right? It makes people worry. It scares people. And then you get the, uh, the closet uh, uh, economists who are talking about recessions and the uh, and the markets going down by 30 percent 
Um, and all these issues mount up one after another after another to create these very scary scenarios. And I think, I don't remember, Dominic, it was 2018 or 2019, but the, but the, the government did shut down. For, we, we, was, we've had, uh, 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 and again, somebody's welcome to call me, correct me, of 2016 under the Obama administration, we'd never defaulted on our payments. They were literally looking at shoeboxes to get mm-hmm. nickels and dimes to make the payments, but we actually shut the government down because technically the government did not have the resources to write the payroll checks for all the federal employees. So we did have a government shutdown. I think it was 2016. We did not default on our debt, though. We've never yeah. done that. But I think we had another one. I think we had another one in 17 and 18. They just couldn't agree on the debt ceiling because I remember, you know, government employees weren't getting paid. I mean, these things have real world implications, right? Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, if you're over 66, you're collecting Social Security. If you're over 66, you're collecting Medicare. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, if you're in the military, you got to get paid by the United States government, right? So do all the federal employees. So it's politicians arguing, but it always has real world impact on people. Uh, Look, uh, those people, uh, for a period of time, I don't think it was very long, but they didn't get a paycheck. They did not. It was like three weeks. People had mortgages to pay and car Mm -hmm. payments to pay and put food on the table. And here we have these politicians playing politics, right? So there are real economic implications. This is not just horse trading and playing games. Um, There are real people out there that uh, potentially are not going to get a paycheck. And we're dealing, again, we're dealing with enough real issues out there that we don't need to create issues that don't have to happen right and the shooting yourself in the foot analogy comes up all the time it seems like we just keep shooting ourselves in the foot and that i think you said i think you wrapped summed it up perfectly this is a problem that we do not have to have that we could easily avoid and i don't want to sound like an old timer but i do remember in the 80s and 90s these politicians just got into a room they hashed it out. They reached an agreement. And just unfortunately, Dominic, those days, are just, they're gone. They're long over. Uh, look, Mike, I, I bring it up and because I really don't want to make this a Republican Democratic issue. But Ronald Reagan was sitting in a room with Tip O'Neill. They were legendary stories, right? Mm-hmm. They opened up a bottle of scotch. And basically, either they fixed the problems or they finished the bottle of scotch, but one or the other was going to happen. Bill Clinton also did it with Newt Gingrich. Mm-hmm. I don't know about drinking the scotch, but they certainly would get together mm-hmm. and go, OK, what do we need to do here to get this thing done? And truthfully, in today's environment, it, it, you got the people in the Democratic Party who don't even speak to each other and the Republican Party mm-hmm. who don't even speak to each other, much less across the party line to actually get something done. And the infrastructure bill is the one that really, really kind of sticks out for me because the current bill was actually negotiated on a bipartisan basis by Republicans and Democrats where both walked out happy and unhappy at the same time. That's probably the best kind of bill, right? It is the best Um, kind of bill, yes. Right, I don't get everything you want, you don't get everything you want, but maybe the American public and the country gets what it needs and yet here it is stuck where um, it can't even come to the floor for a vote for, po- for political reasons. And again, this crosses over administrations because the Trump administration in 2016 or 17 was having infrastructure week. And every muni bond manager we have on, we ask about infrastructure. We talked about it with Mark Paris last week. So this is just perpetual. It's a perpetual non-resolved problem. Yeah, uh, uh, look, uh, so again, we, I, we, I always want to bring it back to kind of where we started. People are looking out at the horizon and going, what worries us? Things like this worry us, even though I, I do believe they get resolved. They usually do. They historically have. But when you go, what worries us? Why are we being defensive in our portfolios? We're clearly being defensive right now. Um, why? Well, this is why, right? These are the things that really come out in, in uh at the end of the day, put a little scare in us and, and I think make us do what we do, uh, which take a, a defensive posture. So if that wasn't enough, we got one more. We got we got, we got got infl- inflation, interest rates, and the Federal Reserve. <laughs> That's a mouthful. But, but you know, the, the Federal Reserve has been less hawkish, which is, which is spooking the market a little bit. The Federal Reserve has its own internal housekeeping that they need to do 
with some Federal Reserve chiefs, you know, the Treasury. So let's get into that a little bit and, and where we yeah, are. Mike, we, we could spend the entire hour just on this subject, but I really want to kind of wrap it up into one big ball, and that is stagflation. Mm -hmm. right? and now, you and I remember that uh, from back in the 70s. Many of our younger viewers don't even know what that word means or to live it, right? But we could have a scenario where inflation, which right now is much hotter than the Federal Reserve and even Treasury Secretary Yellen anticipated it would be right now. So we have the cost of goods going higher, yet the economy may not grow, may stagnate. So you have higher cost of goods, lower cost, uh, lower uh, wages, and that is that is just a super negative scenario. So that's the scary word being thrown out there and back to why it's on our bucket list of things to worry about. And in addition to that, the, the, the Federal Reserve is talking about tapering, which quite frankly, most investors and most citizens have no idea what that means. But, you know, this goes back to the second time they've tapered, the first time which you're on the financial crisis. And basically what that means in plain English, as you know, is the, is the Federal Reserve just kind of throws money at the economy, kind of opens up the floodgates for banks, makes borrowing very easy, and, and it's a great tool to keep the economy going during bumpy, bumpy times. And so the inflation part, obviously, is the cost of goods going up. The stagnation part is exactly that. The, we have no stimulus coming in from Washington because they can't approve anything. We have the Federal Reserve uh, taking money out of the economy by reducing their bond buying program. We have interest rates going higher. That's tapping the brakes on the economy. So the economy that is growing at a pretty good clip just starts to flatten out because it's not going to grow anymore. Inflation goes higher, and now you really have a double-edged sword that hurts everybody, Mike. Hurt. Now, do I think that's going to happen? No, I hope to God not. But again, from a headline risk, the idea of higher interest rates, higher inflation, is and slowing economic growth, all three are really negative for, for our, our picture going forward. So on that note, we've covered about four or five topics that we're worried about, but don't go anywhere. Because when we come back, we're going to give you four or five things that we're really excited about and uh, why we think we're going to get through this in one piece. So we will be right back after this break. Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets. Now, back to the Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman, back with Dominic Tavella. So, Don, we just spent about 20 minutes talking about some of the things we're worried about. So let's get into some of the things that are positive, some of the things that we should be grateful for and why we actually do think that the glass is half full. And, and you know, let's start with, I think, the best headline of all is um, COVID-19. Um, I think the Delta variant is, is reached its peak in the summertime. It seems to be coming down now. We have booster shots. We have a, a pill coming out from Merck like almost like, I don't know if I could compare it to penicillin. I'm not sure if it works that way, but it's, it's, it's supposed to reduce and, and, and not make your illness as severe. So hopefully, I'm not saying we're getting towards the end of COVID because I think it's going to be with us for a very long time, but I think it's looking to be a little bit more manageable as we get through this Delta 19 variant. Yeah, and Mike, I, I like to do this with clients to remind them one year ago today, we are literally in the middle of the pandemic with no headline at all that there would be a solution, right? We didn't have a vaccine. The therapeutics that we had didn't seem like they were working all that well. And God, you know, the, the number of people that passed away was just extraordinary. So a year later, um, you know, as you just hinted, uh, you know, we're in a pretty good place um, with things getting better every day. More people get vaccinated every day. The therapeutics, you mentioned the pill that came out, cuts uh, hospitalization down by 50%. I mean, look, uh, I hope to God this momentum continues. 
Um, but you know, the fact that the Delta variant has not been anywhere near as severe as some people have predicted, that was a doomsday one. If we had done this, this call in January of this year, that was a doomsday. The next variant is going to wipe us off the face of the earth. Uh, there's another variant out there, which I, I don't even remember the name of, which apparently- MU. MU. There you go. Um, and it seems like the vaccine and, and the therapeutics are working, right? It's not an end-all solution. People are passing every day, but it's a significant step forward from where we were a year ago. And you would think a year from now, we would be even still even more better off than we are today. And clearly, Dominic, there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of our clients are a little annoyed with us as we talk about vaccine rates are going up because a lot of people, rightly or wrongly, feel that vaccine rates are going up because people are being coerced to take the vaccine or being forced to take the vaccine or they'll lose their job. And again, I'm not going to make a political statement one way or the other, but at the at the end of the day, the numbers are just declining. And if the numbers decline, well, obviously more people are living and living healthily. But as it relates to us, it also means that the economy can stay on track. People can go to work and travel you know, you and I on the break, we're just talking about the Knicks are playing tonight. Um, I didn't. I, I went to one Knick game last year. Literally, the building was 80% empty. Um, when I go back this year, the building is going to be full. So yes, think about the economic impact, right? Exactly. You can talk about the social mandate and vaccines. That's a whole nother topic. But from an economic perspective, uh, the ability to go out there and sorry to be very cold and calculating about this, but the ability to go out there and spend money, money is the primers, the fuel that keeps the economy going. God forbid, it actually makes the economy grow even faster. So um, whether you agree with the mandates about vaccine or not, the fact that we have them uh, means that people are out there, they are spending money, and that is exactly why the economy is in recovery mode. Right, right. And even in, in even if we look back to where it's come from the shutdown, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, think about that. We shut down the economy. It's the like, world economy. Right. Literally, the world came to a standstill. Back to your you know, moments, uh, meteor crashing or, or black swan, that was clearly a meteor black swan moment, not on anybody's radar. Right. So from where we were then to where we are now, the, the market is, and the economy is slowly getting back to life. And clearly the Delta variant did slow things down again. I mean, yeah. I had I had three business trips planned in the fall. I was supposed to be in, in Georgia, North Carolina, and Texas, and they were all canceled because people, companies are, again, are getting skittish at the time of doing in-person in -person conferences and meetings. Yeah, look, Mike, and, and, and it's this ambiguity that has people nervous um, and gets people frightened. And when they, generally speaking, do do things because they're frightened, it's usually, in hindsight, the wrong thing. You know, I travel to Europe. I travel to the Middle East. I travel to Africa. I'm sitting here. Maybe I would have been. I wouldn't have been. I don't know. I didn't let it change my life, but it has changed a lot of people's lives and their travel and their ability or willingness to go back to the office. So the fact that we're here and the fact that things are getting better and I think will continue to get better is a positive. So it's on our positive side of the list. Yeah, and I'm just happy you didn't get killed by a wild boar, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> well, I'm, you know what? I think my wife is happy as well. <laughs> so, so moving on, you know, Dom, if, we, if, we're going, if we're going to make lemonade out of lemons, the fact that the market went down 5% this month means that valuations have gotten better, right? That, that the market doesn't look as pricey as it looked 30 days ago. Yeah, so so what I mean I know it's ironic it's not what people want to hear but it is true, right? So we were looking at this is as wanty as I get Mike I hope um, the market was trading at about a 22 times multiple of forward earnings. That's kind of an expensive. In our world, without getting into the details, that's an expensive market, kind of the kind of market that we normally would have a hard time buying into. We don't like to buy high and sell low. Preferably, we'd like to buy low and sell high. So we want those valuations at a more reasonable price. You can get the valuations more reasonable. Either earnings goes higher 
or stock prices go lower, mm-hmm. earnings don't start to get announced for a couple of weeks, Mike. So the only alternative we had was prices to come down. And I think that does present the buying opportunity for us. So earning valuation today are more, not reasonable, but more reasonable than they were just a couple of weeks ago. And I think that's a positive. It is a positive. And the other reason it's a positive, Dominic, is I think people have to remember that really 80 to 90% of the trading that happens today is done by computers. So it's done by algorithms and it's done by factors. So these computers wait for these valuations to come down. They create a buy signal. And yes, you and I manage a significant amount of money, but we're not the Harvard Endowment or the IBM 401k or the city of New York, right? So, so there's all this money that's sitting on the sidelines and they all kind of push a button and go, okay, things are cheaper now. Well, and Mike, I just want to elaborate on a point that you just made. It's an estimated $4 trillion sitting in money market accounts, another $1 trillion sitting in corporate accounts waiting to do stock buybacks. Mm -hmm. That is an awful lot of, we call it liquidity. That's an awful lot of money sitting there waiting for the markets to come down so they can go jump in and buy. That's why I think sometimes you listen to the quote unquote experts and they're talking about these just ginormous drawbacks where you see a 20, 30, 40% pullback, anything can happen. But when you look at all this liquidity, all this money that wants to come flooding into the market, kind of hard for me to fathom, we're going to see much more than a 10% correction. And and this is a topic that you and I have discussed frequently. And, and, and when we have these pullbacks, they're not as elongated, they're not as, as, as drawn out, they're not as yeah, painful but it's like ripping a Band-Aid off painful, right? Because they happen. And as you said, all this money's on the sidelines and it seems to get redeployed rather quickly. Yeah, you've brought this up many times, Mike, and I give you credit for bringing that up. But, you know, we used to have like a month or two to to go through one of these cycles. And that would give us tons of time to be very deliberate and specific about how, where, when we wanted to allocate dollars. And now it seems like it happens in days, Right. And so I'm like, well, I, I wanted to put money to work. And, and two days later, the market's up from from its lows. So I think this time uh, we, we are clearly going through some pretty hefty gyrations. But I do think we have a couple more weeks of uh, at least until earnings season start and give us hopefully some positive data. So I think the next couple of weeks are volatile, maybe a little bit further on the downside. But for us, I still think it's a buying opportunity. I think it is, too. And I had a client say to me the other day. He's a pretty sophisticated investor. He said to me, there's no time to buy on the dips anymore. Uh, again, Mike, uh, it, it, and, and you alluded to it again. Sorry, I keep giving you credit for all the smart things you say, but it's true. Um, these algorithms just go in there and they're dropping. You know, I think when we place a trade and it's in the millions of dollars, that's a big deal. But these, <laughs> but these companies are doing trades in the billions of dollars. That's a big deal. Um, and they do move the markets rather quickly. So look, we're, I want to go, we're paying attention. We're looking at it every day. We're trying to make decisions every day. We're trying to make prudent decisions every day. But boy, oh boy, these markets are moving uh, as volatile as I've, I've seen in a really long time. Moving on, you know, word that you love, you know, you don't want to get too wonky. Um, we've had a lot of capital market activity, a lot of merger and acquisition activity, Dominic. And again, that's that's probably 50,000 feet in the air for most of our clients. How does it really affect them if they don't even own the company? But really merger and acquisition, M&A act, act, activity is really quite healthy for the market because it shows that there's confidence in the market and there's money moving, which is really important. So again, the environment, they're in lots of liquidity, right? These corporations have lots of money. Uh, stock prices are elevated for the year. They're still up very nicely. Um, very, very low interest rate environment. So where you and I might go and buy a house, these companies are going out and buying other companies. Right. Or they're merging and trying to create bigger business uh, entities, bigger business units. But a lot of that is going on. uh, And that's a very healthy sign for the market. That's a sign that people think overall, if you thought the economy was going to go into a recession next year, you wouldn't be looking to do a buy uh, 
of another company, you wouldn't be looking to do a merger. But if you thought the economy was going to grow at a healthy pace, you're looking to buy something that's going to help in that growth, right? So generally speaking, mergers, acquisitions, stock buybacks, these are pretty positive things for the economy, for the markets, and for the economy. And just explain, let's let's just explain for the benefit of our viewers for a few minutes what a stock buyback is. What that basically means is a company has enough confidence in their self that they're basically buying the shares back from their shareholders. Yeah. So, so it, it's a really a mechanism of actually getting money back into investors' hands. By buying those shares back, you have less out shares outstanding, and therefore your earnings per share actually go up. Mm-hmm. Earnings per share go up, stock prices go up. So mm-hmm. it's an efficient way of getting your stock price of your company to go higher. Um, but if you, again, if you thought they were going to go into a recession, you wouldn't give up your cash. You wouldn't give up your capital. You'd go, you'd want to stay liquid. You wouldn't buy a stock for a company that you thought the price would be lower six months from now. So the fact that this is all going on now, historically has been a very positive thing for, for the economy, for the markets and the economy. And, and lastly, and I'm going to give our friend, professor Jeremy Siegel from wisdom tree credit for this one. Um, Interest rates stay low. And at the end of the day, Dominic, there's just not a heck of a lot of places to put money. So we've touched on liquidity, right? How about 4 trillion in money markets, 1 trillion in cash and buyback programs. Um, But uh, Professor Siegel, I think is spot on 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 this issue. We've we've heard it from other people. Look, the Federal Reserve, uh, Fed Chairman Powell almost every day talks about how he wants to raise interest rates and he's gonna stop quantitative easing. But they've also been really adamant about we're probably gonna let this thing run a little longer um, where normally they would look at inflation, get scared and start raising interest ra- rates right away. They're going to let this go a little longer. My gut feeling is they're going to let it go for as long as they possibly can get away with it. So where we would think interest rates would start going higher, maybe six to 12 months out, uh, maybe closer to 12 than six, Mike. So I think we have a very accommodative Fed, uh, which gives us uh, further stimulus to the economy. I think we have a very accommodative Fed for a really a, a lot longer. A lot longer. And and we were talking about this when we first created this show in January, that the Fed was basically saying no interest rates, hikes for 2021 and 2022. So now here we are, 2021 amazingly is almost over. And we're hearing now that, yeah, 2022 is still off the table in terms of raising interest rates. Now they're going to taper, like we said, but they're not going to raise interest rates anytime soon. And so again, this ties into if you want to buy a house, you're going to look at relatively low mortgage rates for a long time. If you want to buy a car, low interest rates for a long time. If you want to start, uh, make a capital investment in your business. I mean, all of this ends up being a primer fuel for future economic growth. It also is primer fuel for inflation. And that's the worrisome part here. But I think eventually that does roll over. But an accommodative Fed and a Congress that just loves to spend money, I think, in, a, in the end of the day, continue to add stimulus to the economy. And I think that's why uh, not only do we end the year in a higher place, but I think next year can be positive as well. And God forbid we ever get an infrastructure plan in place. I mean, that in theory, Dominic, is obviously stimulative to the economy because it's, it's, it means they're going to hire people to fix all these roads and bridges and buy all this material to do the same. Yeah, buy materials, right? So somebody's got to buy the steel and the, and the asphalt and the concrete and the electrical wire and all the things that go into building these, these structures. And they tend to be massive structures, right? Digging right. tunnels, building bridges, repairing bridges. So they are high capital, high investment type projects. They have a lot of economic effect around them. Um, so again, I, 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 you know, I don't want to make a political call, but I think in the end it does get resolved. And we get some of this to come in, maybe not all of it, some of it to come into the economy. All that continues to add fuel to further economic growth. And we think that's on our positive list. So on that note, we will be right back to wrap up the show right after this break. When you're thinking about where to park your cash, 
For over 30 years in the business, I've been a fan of funds like the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's managed for cash and designed so the interest income you receive is free from federal taxes. And who doesn't love paying less taxes? Mike, generating interest that's free from federal taxes is appealing, but I've been in this business for a long time, and people love the potential for more income on their hard-earned cash. Sorry, Dom, but the beauty of the fund is paying less taxes on cash. No, my friend, it's the potential for more income. Mm-mm, less taxes. More income. Less Taxes. More income. Less For taxes. your cash, ask your advisor mm-hmm. about the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund less taxes. or find out more at dcmadvisors.com. Well, Dom, one thing I know we agree on, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, symbol L-E-T-A-X. Tax. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman, back with Dom. So, Dom, I noticed you were kind of in an especially chipper mood this evening. So I'm assuming that's because the Jets got their first victory on Sunday. Listen, uh, a, a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. And I'm a long, long, long suffering Jet fan. So, yeah, I was very happy. Very happy this weekend. So because you were happy this weekend and I've already established your glasses half full, what are you most optimistic about right now? So, Mike, I, I literally have a secret weapon that has never failed, or pretty much never failed, right? And so um, here goes. It's the American consumer. Um, the American consumer loves to spend, spend, spend. And I'd love to make fun of it and joke about it, but the American consumer represents 70% of economic growth. I mean, it's just a tremendous number. And of course, for over a year, we couldn't do anything. We couldn't go out to dinner. We couldn't go on vacation. We couldn't buy the new car or the new washing machine. We were stuck. We were stuck. And here we are where we talked about all the positive things and consumers have a ton of capital sitting in their bank accounts. The markets have done well. So they have excess returns, excess profits, and we're getting into the holiday season, Mike. Mm -hmm. And what do consumers love to do? Spend money, spend money. And I think, and again, we're doing this lighthearted, but I think they're going to spend Mike. And that can only be a positive uh, uh, infusion of more capital into the economy. I think we end the year on a positive on a high note. And I think the American consumer is going to be responsible for that. I think you are correct. And, you know, and, and, and anecdotally, we always worry about September and October being bad months for the market. And, and, then, and then we always kind of close on a high note. And one of the reasons we do is, is no, all kidding aside, is the Christmas season. I mean, restaurants are more crowded, you know, malls, online shopping. So you're right. I, right before the show, I had a couple leave my office. And she said to me, I've never had as much money in my bank account as I have right now. How do you think that happened? And I said, well, you had nowhere to go for 18 months. And she said, oh, I forgot about that. I mean, people have almost gotten so used to not spending money and not having anywhere to go that it's kind of as a surprise, like you said before, $4 trillion, how much money people have. And you're right, they're dying just to go out and spend it 
and see family and friends and spend it on loved ones. Yeah, Mike, uh, whether going to a sporting event, going to a restaurant, and you brought up you had three different trips canceled, right? So assuming all that stuff starts to go by the wayside and people feel more comfortable traveling, going out to dinner, going to sporting events, that is a cascading effect of just an insane amount of money coming into the economy, which creates jobs, creates corporate profits, and overall allows us to end the year in a very happy, healthy way. In addition to that, we do continue to see interest rates remaining low. We will, we will get this debt ceiling resolved. It's going to happen. It always happens. It's headline risk. Neither one of us are particularly worried about it. We do have inflation, but as the saying goes, it does seem to be baked in the cake. So unless we really see something, Dom, that comes out, like you said, the meteor a couple of times, I do feel that the market and the economy will able to absorb these speed bumps. And, and, and I agree with you, pr probably finish the market on an upturn. I mean, and again, right now, don't forget, Dom, the market's up 17% this year. We yeah. didn't even mention that. It, it's only down, uh, maybe after today, not even that, but it's only down uh, maybe 5% off its all-time high. So yeah. it's not, this is not, these are not catastrophic numbers by any stretch of the imagination. But the danger, Mike, is that people, investors, and we've seen some crazy stats on this, panic, right? They get scared. They let some radio sh show guests talk about 30% uh, drop. Uh, uh, in markets or dollars that aren't worth anything, and they get frightened and take action that really is frankly unnecessary and, and potentially financially disastrous. Yeah, not to make it a commercial for financial advisors or what we do, but what we do is called sticky money and the do-it-yourselfers, and is there are numbers out there, it's proven, the do-it-yourselfers, that money is a lot stickier, I'm sorry, a lot less stickier People get that headline, they call up an 800 number, and boom, they're out of the market rather than calling us and we're able to calm them down. And look, again, I'm not letting anybody off the hook, but when you're looking at the news at night and you're looking at some of these headlines, and we've had God know, you know, the catastrophes in Afghanistan and news about China, it's worrisome, it's scary. Just don't make your financial decisions that are good for the next 20, 30 years in the next 20, 30 minutes. Right. Try, let, let's take a longer timeline. And I think that's the value we add to the equation, Mike. We talk people off the ledge, we calm them down, and then hopefully we put them in a position that they can profit uh, from longer term investments instead of getting out at the bottom. I could not say it better. Do not make decisions in 25 Emotional. minutes that will affect your next 25 years. So on that note, I do see your glasses half full. You proved it to me this evening. We are out you as well, time. Mike. Uh, we, we talk every day. Everybody knows that. Uh, we're both very optimistic, uh, cautiously, but we're very optimistic. We are. And on that note, my friend, we are out of time. I will see you down the road and everybody stay healthy and well. Stay healthy and safe, please. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks for tuning in to the Labenthal Report. 